For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. T-Biz Podcast delivers T-News that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for T-professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. Think of us as a digital caravan of storytellers, bringing authentic, authoritative, and exclusive stories to you weekly from the T-Lands. Hello, everyone. Here are this week's headlines. Sri Lanka tea yields feared to decline. McLeod Russell settlement resolves its insolvency. And the Bangladesh tea sector returns to pre-pandemic production levels. More in a minute. But first, this important message. What makes a perfect cup of Ceylon tea? The perfect cup is from the tea businesses that ensure the protection of all the children living within their tea estates. We salute Kailani Valley, Telawakili, Bogawanthalawa, Harana, and Eliptia tea estates. Support Save the Children, Sri Lanka. Sri Lankan tea growers are experiencing the first effects of the countrywide ban on chemical fertilizer and plant production chemicals. After a productive spring, the fall harvest is predicted to decline beginning in October. Herman Gunnarutney, one of 46 experts picked by President Tugotabaya Rajapaksa to guide the transition to organic-only inputs, told agency Press France that he fears the ban has drawn the tea industry into complete disarray. Gunnar Rutney, who manages the Ahangama Tea Estate, said, quote, The consequences for the country are unimaginable. Gunnar Rutney was removed from the Green Socioeconomic Task Force after disagreeing with the president, according to AFP. President Godabaya ordered a halt in inbound shipments of fertilizers last May used to cultivate food crops such as rice and cash crops, including cinnamon and pepper. Growers are concerned that plants accustomed to a rich diet of nitrogen and phosphate will take time to adjust to organic compost and manure. Tea is the nation's highest earning export, generating $1.25 billion in foreign currency from the sale of 300 million kilos annually. Sri Lanka harvested 188 million kilos through July. Mid-year crop yields were 20% ahead of the half-year mark set in 2020, but prices on average were higher last year. Meanwhile, the fiscal crisis facing the country worsened as the Sri Lankan rupee depreciated 20% against the U.S. dollar and British pound. Food inflation is at 11.5% and long queues at food markets signal shortages. 
The government has invoked rules that fix prices and prohibit hoarding of staples such as patty, finished rice, and sugar, which briefly increased to 200 rupees per kilo. Sri Lanka's economy, heavily dependent on tourism, declined 3.6% in 2020, and foreign reserves are at record lows. Biz Inside During the next month, TBiz will interview several key decision-makers, tea researchers, and non-government agricultural experts to discuss the pros and cons of switching Sri Lanka to organic-only cultivation. India's largest bulk tea producer has settled with creditors to resolve its financial peril. P.P. Gupta, Managing Director of Technoelectric and Engineering, agreed to terms for repayment of a delinquent 100 crore, that's $14 million U.S., loan by McLeod Russell India, saying, quote, this is now behind us and we wish the company good luck, end quote. Techno triggered the insolvency August 6 by filing a formal application with the National Company Law Tribunal for redress. McLeod borrowed the funds in 2018 and failed to make timely payments due to shortfall in revenue from tea. The company sold treble tea gardens to meet its obligations, but the sums were insufficient to satisfy creditors. McLeod currently owes its lenders approximately 1,800 crore, about $245 million. A resolution process led by the Reserve Bank of India will now proceed. McLeod operates 31 tea estates in Assam and two in West Bengal, producing a combined 44 million kilos of tea annually in India with additional holdings in Africa and Vietnam. Like neighboring Assam, Bangladesh experienced a spring drought, high temperatures, and the onslaught of the pandemic, but production is ahead of 2020 totals and estimated to reach pre-pandemic levels of 96 million kilos. The International Tea Committee in London ranks Bangladesh ninth among the tea-producing countries. The industry there employs 300,000, including 5,000 small holders. Mohamed Musa, manager at Finley Tea Consolidated Tea Plantations in Bangladesh, writes that, quote, plantation work never stopped during the pandemic. Workers were kept isolated in the tea estates itself, and there were many more safety programs. Government support was encouraging, which really enabled plantations to continue running of the tea activities safely during the pandemic, end quote. Cyrus Fazy, executive director at Fazy Tea Estate, reports that the first seven months of the year brought favorable weather. Tea production has been consistently increasing thanks to the favorable weather and initiatives undertaken by the Tea Board, he writes. The distribution of fertilizer at subsidized prices started in the gardens at the right time this year, Fazi explains. Bangladesh is a net tea importer, but growers there are optimistic, he writes. Quote, old saplings have been removed and new saplings have been planted. The tea planters have increased the scope of tea cultivation by making new investments, he writes, adding, if the trend of increasing production continues like this time, 
then there will be no need to import tea in large quantities. Business Insight Tea producers in Bangladesh are now at a crossroads, according to Faisi, Improving their marketing performance in both the domestic and export markets has become crucial for survival and growth. Quote, the tea sector has lost its name and fame in recent years, he says, but in light of such challenges, strategies have been adopted in the coming year to meet the demand for tea in the domestic as well as the global market. Aravinda Anantharaman in Bengaluru reports on India's tea auction prices. India Tea Price Report for the week ending 4th September 2021. Sale 35 was largely uneventful. Prices remained similar to the previous week. The market was steady with better demand in North India. In the south, prices were better than sale 34 for orthodox tea across Kunur, Coimbatore and Kochi. But percentage of sales was lower. On the other hand, dust prices were lower than the previous week, but here too the percentage of sales was lower. Gohati saw good demand for both leaf and dust teas. A comparison of prices for sale 35 across 2019, 2020 and 2021 places 2021 between the last two years. Among the top buyers, Tata Consumer Products was active for both leaf and dust, while Hindustan Unilever was active for dust teas. There were fewer outlots this week. Kolkata saw good demand for all teas, particularly orthodox. The major blenders were active, Tata Consumer Products and exporters were active for Darjeeling tea. Prices remained similar to the previous week with the exception of Darjeeling, whose average price dropped by about 40 rupees. There were fewer outlots of whole leaf and brokens compared to fannings and secondary teas. This week we also caught up with representatives of the South India Tea Exporters Association, represented by the chairman Deepak Shah. Vice Chairman Ronnie Tarakan and other members. They pointed out to the twin problems that have been relentless this year. One is the rising cost of ocean freight coupled with non-availability of containers, which makes them apprehensive to take even future orders. The second is the problem of pesticides in tea. Members also spoke of changes in export subsidies and the impact on this problem, along with the challenges of competing with producers who are directly exporting to buyers. As things stand, they say we're looking at the last quarter of the year, closing with unsold tea once again. And now, a word from our sponsor. Q-Trade Teas works with tea purveyors at every scale, from promising startups to the world's largest multinational beverage brands in the hot, iced, and bottled tea segments. With U.S.-based formulation, blending, and packaging services, Q-Trade can help you innovate, scale up, and grow your specialty tea brand. For more information, visit our website, qtradetees.com. This week, TBiz visits with rare tea lady Henrietta Lovell, whose passion for tea is exceeded only by her commitment to bettering the lives of those who make it. And then we travel to Banbury, UK, to learn how the Tea History Collection is digitizing tea history one tome at a time. Since founding the Rare Tea Company in London in 2004, Henrietta Lovell has traveled the globe, sourcing direct for the world's five-star dining rooms and developing relationships at the farm level, where her commitment to fair pricing for the finest tea and charitable work set a standard. If I can make people appreciate tea, it will change the world, she says. 
Having read Henrietta Lovell's fabulously engaging book, Infused, Adventures in Tea, earlier this year with Tea Book Club, I jumped at the chance to chat to Henrietta, the tea person, founder of Rare Tea Company, mistress of the Artful Blend, and champion of tea farmers. Join me as the Rare Tea Lady spills the tea. I'm fascinated about the moment someone gets tea. What has been your experience of this? And it's not very interesting if they've already got a preconception of what tea is. It is harder. So if I've got a young person or and they don't have a very firm, fixed preconception, they might be a little bit more fluid, a bit more open to experiencing new things. So then it's like, oh, I'd love to try. And then, oh, this is amazing. This is delicious. But when someone's got a very strong opinion beforehand, then it's a it's a really wonderful revelation because you you know that you're not just making someone fall in love, you're making them change an established thought pattern and it's super exciting. But I don't really do it. The tea does it. I've got a very privileged position where people will trust me enough now to try things. And it's just absolutely wonderful. They think they know what they like and then they have that, they have a taste of something that just starts to excite them. And it's like, oh, okay. But their still face is completely closed and they're generally quite silent because they've got nothing to add to this. They're just there because they've been dragged in. And then the face softens, the body language softens, and the sort of joy starts to creep into the faces because pleasure is a joy. Let's not forget, it's not just amazing flavours. It's really a sense of euphoria that overcomes you when you discover something that is so beautiful and so joyous. So is there one tea that really captures people? Obviously, we will have very different tastes and flavour profiles that we enjoy most. But Interestingly, it's often either an English breakfast or a jasmine tea because we know those teas very well. And the experience is so extraordinarily wonderful because you think you know something and then it's opened out to you. The jasmine silver tip can be something because it's so clean and bright and fresh and it's scented with jasmine flowers. There's, not, there's no flavouring on there. This is just the flowers have given up their scent and it's been absorbed into the tea. That is such an extraordinary experience. It's just, it's so extraordinary. They're sort of like, I know this, but I don't know. And they feel quite discombobulated at first and then very joyous. And then the other thing is to do an English breakfast with an industrial tea bag English breakfast. And then an English breakfast made of beautiful teas crafted to be something better than the sum of its parts. You try them side by side. And then there's this revelation because you've probably drunk that industrial tea bag tea every day of your life maybe six times a day and then you have something that is remarkably better you're like shit what have I been missing out on my whole life and that can be a little bit hurtful you can't argue with your taste buds so when your taste buds say oh my god this is better you have to just let go of the past and the shame and the blame or whatever it is and just go okay the world has opened out Whatever their taste background, whatever their profession, whether they're a taxi driver or a famous chef or a sommelier, everybody can taste the difference. So it's much more accessible. It's just having that first sip. You work directly with farms. What is it about working directly that is so important to you? There's real people here. and We're all connected, that sense of community, responsibility to one another. And I think that's how we make real change in the tea world is that connection that these are people, this is a community, this is a farm. And that's the thing, not this is the name of the varietal. Like who made this tea rather than what varietal is made? What's the relation? What's your relationship with them? And are they okay? Or are they at least trying to make it okay? And this is something I really wanted to mention. Often people speak about 
farms that produce speciality tea and non-speciality tea. And like, well, if the person who's picking the tea is paid the same for both, well, then that's not fair, really, because then the value of that speciality tea is not getting to the picker. And this is this is not OK. And we shouldn't really work with commercial farms that are producing non-speciality tea. There is not a problem with supply in the tea world of speciality tea. There is a problem with demand. That is the problem, right? So it's our job to try and spread the demand and to educate people and to show people that there's a reason and a value for buying more expensive tea. But if a farm is trying to come out of a world where they've been reliant on selling commodity tea, cheaper tea, because that's where the market was, we can't punish them when they're trying to then create speciality tea. And that makes me so mad. Like, And when you talk about wages and you say, well, I shouldn't work with a farm where the wages are low, how are they going to improve the wages if we don't buy more speciality tea? You know, we need to work with these guys. We need to understand them. We need to have relationships. Say, how do you get so that like working in a farm in Malawi, wages are low, life expectancy is low, standard of living is low. How do we make a difference there? How do we do it differently? And it's not by only working with a tiny smallholder or a tiny farm that just makes speciality tea. That's part of the solution, but it's not the only solution. The Tea History Collection in Banbury, UK, founded by Dennis Sharp, OBE, has hosted a full calendar of events since opening in May. This tea industry resource is now undertaking the daunting task of digitizing bound volumes recording the trademark and ownership of colonial gardens from the early days of tea. Listen This Short discusses the importance of preserving tea company heritage to be shared online by all. Behind every sip of tea, there is the taste of history. This is Dalanger Silver from PM David Silver & Sons, and earlier this year I visited the tea history collection set up by Mr. Dennis Short in Banbury in rural England. Dennis is the founder and chairman of DCS Group, a multi-million pound distribution company. He's also the son of an Assam tea planter, having been born and spending his formative years on Indian tea gardens. Dennis's passion for tea and history has resulted in a unique collection of tea-related items that are now housed in a purpose-built facility. I sit down to talk about this unique facility, some of the memorable pieces from the collection, and why is it important to preserve this history. The collection houses some very unique and interesting pieces of tea memorabilia. What are some of the standout pieces that visitors will find interesting? And what are some of the pieces that you personally found fascinating learning about? I've pulled some pieces together sort of around me and uh, they're, they're, very, they're very random, but, uh, you know, I think people find them interesting. The first one is a, a small tin of tea which says Java Golden Tips. Sold in Amsterdam, September the 20th, 1904. And then it has the price per pound. And actually the, the leaves in the jar, it's a sort of see-through jar, look just amazing. I mean, it looks in great condition. So obviously that's 117 years old. This one says on it, Kenya Tea, B-E-A, sample of the first consignment to London in, on the 16th of January, 1928. Some people have been raving about this book, and it's the book of factory marks. So it says capital directors, proprietors, agents, managers, and assistants, and their factory marks. 
So inside this book are all the factory logos, effectively, of you know, all these tea gardens, um, which is just incredible. I think one of the challenges with that book is, is just trying to find out how to digitize it, because you know, just even opening it, it's very mm. uh, dry and crispy as a book, and the pages are kind of falling apart. So again, you know, it's a really important document, and um, getting that information online, I think, will be very valuable for lots of people. Brian Writer gave us a cabinet full of tea samples i'm sure everybody will be familiar with the old numbered tea tins which all have sequential numbers on them and and uh, these tins are all full of tea samples there's a bit on the war you know we've got some boiling vessels out of a tank um, because those were very famous in the second world war and the first world war the army used to have tea to kind of keep them cheerful because um, war actually does become quite boring um, so yeah, and, and, um, lots of, uh, scales. So the old scales from the 1930s and, uh, HG Planner and Co were the people that made those scales and the cups, the tasting cups. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just a wonderful collection of, of, of a variety of many, many things. Britain is a nation that has made tea the world's second most consumed beverage, and we're a nation of tea lovers. Why is it so important to protect this history and why is it so vital? The answer to that is multifaceted, but I'll start with talking about companies. So, I mean, many, many people are familiar with, obviously, I, I'm sort of flying the flag for family businesses. So, you know, a family business takes things very personally. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the tea estates were run by people who, who take them very personally. You know, their entire careers are spent on a tea estate. When large corporations come in, it can be the case where that personal touch gets lost. And if you sort of flick to modern day, a lot of these guys running these large corporations are on massive salaries with massive bonuses and share options. And their whole aim is to basically sell lots, make lots and lots of profit. I've spoken to quite a few people and sort of said, oh, you know, what do you think about the history and the heritage of your company? And, you know, there's, there's sometimes been a bit of a blank. They don't really, haven't ever been there or don't really know much about it. And, you know, they're, they're not really that interested in that, that historical importance of, of even their own business. I think what's happening is a lot of this stuff is actually being lost. When we go back to sort of the very, very old days of, of some of these family businesses, this stuff just literally get put in, in a skip. Um, and and thrown away unless you have a place to keep it. It's important that we preserve things because the chances are that some of these things actually could quite easily just just be thrown away. The second part is is really the part of of remembering history is is to get this all digitized and you know that's my number one aim is to make sure that all of this can be searched on Google. If you look up, for instance, right now, the words tea planter Assam on Google, uh, Koi Hei is number one, number two, and number three on that search engines. That's because we've, we've put that information on the web. If we get all those online, it's going to be amazing. You know, but obviously, you know, there's a lot of work. I'm, if there's anybody out there who wants to help fund the, the digitization of all this stuff, um, you know, it would be great. To, to get some some help along the way. There are some fantastic facilities available at the collection. The tasting bar, the conferencing area. Who do you see using these? 
Are they for the general public? Is it more specifically for those in the tea trade? And how does one visit? Is it by drop-in or by appointment only? A lot of people have said to me, you know, oh, you should open a tea museum in London and make essentially make a profit to do these things. And, and obviously everybody will remember the, the Brahma Tea Museum in London that went crashingly bust. I'm a businessman and, and, you know, these things have to have legs. Really, the first aim was to, to make sure that these things don't get thrown away into the rubbish. In terms of usability, we're definitely imagining the tea industry using this facility. So the, the UK um, Tea and Infusions Association are already using it. So that's a, a big tick. We've had some of the Brook Bond family here a few weeks ago. We've had Stephen Twining here yesterday. So, you know, we've, we've got tea people coming through already, which, which is exactly what we planned it for. by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of key biz journalists and key experts? Contact them directly through Subtext, a private message-based platform. Avoid the chaos of social media and start a conversation that matters. Subtext message-based platform lets you privately ask meaningful questions of the tea experts, academics, and tea biz journalists reporting from the tea lands. You see their responses via SMS texts, which are sent direct to your phone. Visit our website and subscribe to Subtext to instantly connect with the most connected people in tea. Remember to visit the TBiz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's www.t-bizbiz.com. Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.